I do want to say a quick word, just an appreciation. Thanks for um, our worship team, uh, Kirk, and your leadership with that. I think we take it for granted. We come, and uh, they do a great job not focusing on themselves, but pointing us to Christ and to worship Him. And that's a lot of work, um, a lot of work week after week. And so I uh, just feel be remiss if I don't just say occasionally thank you to you guys for the work that you guys do on that. All right, the hatred of the world and the identification of Christ. You heard the passage read just a moment ago. Um, there's a reason that as a church, um, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, it's not all the time. Occasionally there might be a spinoff where we do something more topical or doctrinal in nature, something like that. But by and large, a steady diet is verse by verse through books of the Bible. First of all, that's how the Holy Spirit revealed it to us. That's how the Word was given. It wasn't given in a snippet here and a snippet there. It was given in a context. And when we preach like that, we, we honor the way the Lord revealed His Word to us. There's another thing, too, is that you don't get to skip any passages, right? And there's some of them that if we're just picking a passage, you know... It, if I'm just picking, here's what I'm going to preach on Sunday, it's probably not going to be this passage, okay? Um, probably not going to be the one I just gravitate to and say, let's preach this one, but it is very good and it is very necessary, and it's very important. And so we don't pick and choose, we preach what's in the Word, and that's a good thing. And so our passage today, as you heard it read a while ago, is, is not a positive feel-good message. It's not a positive feel-good passage in Scripture, it's not a, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody loves us, we're all good. It's no, actually, you should probably expect not to be loved. In fact, you should probably expect and be willing to accept and even embrace that the world's going to hate you. Just like it hated Jesus. Yay, right? Um, this, is, this, is, this is great. No, it's, it may be hard on the outset, but it's good, and it's right, and it's true. And we're going to dig into it a little bit today. We, I think we're somewhat disconnected with a lot of what we read in the New Testament. It is a little bit different, at least it has been historically, being in America, because we have as, as part of our, our Constitution the idea of freedom of religion. That is not something you find in history. Um, and that is not something that you find many other places even this day. There's a lot of limitations on that, but we have had and have the idea of freedom of religion. And that's insulated us a little bit from what we read. I'm not so sure that that's continuing the same as it's been or will continue the same, but the idea of freedom of religion. And Jesus was totally, completely honest with those who were going to follow Him. He didn't, he, didn't like, he didn't sell them a bill of goods. He didn't, he didn't lead in one way and say, hey, come follow me. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. You're probably going to get rich. You need to come follow me. People are going to love you. This is going to be incredible. That is not what Jesus did. He didn't water anything down. That's why in John chapter 6, if you remember a good while back, he had huge crowds. He did an incredible miracle, fed 5,000 people. They were all rallied to him, so excited. Jesus can feed us out of nothing. This is incredible. And so he says, he knows people's hearts. He knows why they're really there. And so he starts speaking, and the more he speaks, the more they leave. His speech was hard. And all of a sudden it was like, ooh, we don't really want to follow him, we don't think. You have passages like Luke 9, 50, 
7 through 62, where people are coming to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Jesus is like, really? <laughs> really? You know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You're going to, you're going to, really, right? Jesus wasn't about getting large numbers to superficially follow him. He was about calling true disciples. True disciples. And so he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, this isn't about me. You've got to realize that. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. When Jesus calls a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he bids him come and die. It's not about me anymore. Jesus wasn't just about how do we get the most people in the room. He was about calling true disciples. By the way, the Apostle Paul too. He says, I want to know Christ. I don't just want to know Christ. I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings, being made like Him in His death. The writer of Hebrews, same thing. For the bodies of the animals of those uh, whose blood has been brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins, what do they do with them? They burn them outside the camp. Those who come and die, those sacrifices that are killed are burned outside of the camp. It says in verse 12, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people by His own blood. Listen to this. It's what Jesus did. He was one of those sacrifices going outside the gate, outside the camp, to shed His own blood. Verse 13, Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear his reproach. It's not a feel-good idea. It's not a feel-good message. But if you get it, there's life here and there's hope here. And I hope you do today. Following Jesus means that your life is probably going to be harder. Drew said that in his prayer a while ago. It means life is going to be harder, not easier. That doesn't mean it's not going to be better. It is, but it's not the promise of an easy life. J.C. Ryle said, persecution has been the lot of true believers throughout the 18 centuries of Christian history. He goes on to say, persecution is the lot of all really godly people at this very day. Ridicule, mockery, slander, misrepresentations still show the feeling of unconverted people toward the true Christian. As it was in Paul's day, so it is now. In public and in private, at school and at college, at home and abroad, all who live all that will live godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. A quote from 2 Timothy 2.12. He goes on to say, Mere churchmanship and outward profession are a cheap religion, of course, and cost a man nothing. But real, vital Christianity will always bring with it a cross. Now there is a way you say, I don't want that. I really just want to fly under the radar and be happy and and you can, you can do that, but you're not following Christ. You're not a true disciple with that sense. You want just the easy way, then you're really following the crowd more than you're following Jesus. Why? Why is that the case? It's the case because biblical Christianity is not popular. Biblical Christianity is not popular. By the way, it never has been. Now, there's an idea of Christianity that can be popular, right? It's just all about loving each other and, 
and trying to help people and do good and all that, that can be popular. But biblical Christianity, rooted in the gospel and living that out and speaking that, is not popular. Christianity has always been countercultural. And that's why, it, that's why the New Testament frequently calls opposition to the faith, opposition to Christianity, the world. It refers to the world. The world will this, the world will that. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the broader culture, right? We're talking about society at large that's hostile to God. That's hostile, hostile to the faith. There is often an effort by some probably well-meaning Christians, maybe not well-meaning, I don't know, probably, but Christians to try to fit in more with the world. How do we accommodate ourselves? How do we become more relevant is a key word, right? How do we fit in more with the world? And that way it's an easy transition. People just come out of the world, come to us. You're not really changing anything, right? They just, just come aboard. The problem is that's not biblical Christianity. That is not the faith. In fact, it leads, it leads the church to lose the very heart of what it means to be the church, which is a people that are set apart by God. Have you ever read the book of Acts? It wasn't easy. And these aren't men that are hurting anybody. They're helping everybody. But that message is a... A stumbling stone, Scripture tells us. That message that we proclaim. Therefore, we know biblical Christianity is not popular. Therefore, biblical Christians will have problems in this world. If you're, if you're a faithful, devoted disciple, a biblical Christian, I'm not talking about somebody that just says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and just like everybody else, but if you're a biblical Christian, you're going to have some issues in this world. True Christians throughout history have, have been despised. There's Tertullian, an early church father. I have a quote from him I want to read here. And it's kind of sarcastic, right? It's kind of like, it doesn't really matter what we do. The world's against us here. Let me just read this quote. He says, this is, uh, well, about 1,700 years ago. Somewhere around there. If the Tiber reaches the walls, if the Nile does not rise to the fields, if the sky doesn't move, or the earth does, if there is famine, if there is plague, the cry is at once, Christians to the lions. What? All of them to one lion? Um, it, says it really doesn't matter what we do. We're, we're, it's, the world's against us. The world's against us. I mean, this Roman historian Tacitus said, called the Christians a class hated for their abominations. What were they doing? They were sharing the gospel. There's a lot of those. I have some more, but I'm going to move on. If you came to Christ for ease in this world, then you missed it. You did not come to Christ. Jesus promised hardship, tribulation, and persecution in the world to be endured by His power in His presence. Listen to what he said. When he's talking about coming to him, he said that there's, there's a broad road and an easy path that leads to destruction, and many are going to go that way. Broad road, easy path. Leads to destruction. That's where the vast majority of people go. But you know what he also said? He said the gate is narrow and the path is hard that leads to life. Gate is narrow, path is hard that leads to life, and few they are that find it. We're not preaching an easy road Christianity. By the way, we're not preaching your best life is now, okay? No, this world's going to be tough. Our hope is 
Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is with Christ forever. We fix our eyes on that hope. For here we have no lasting city, as Scripture says. All right. In verse 17, it's, it's interesting. Jesus commands his disciples to love each other. That's what it is, as, as disciples. These things I command you so that you love one another. Chapter 15, verse 17. So that you love one another. Love each other. That's huge. Because the very next verse, expect to be hated by the world. You really need to love each other because the world is not. It's critical we love the world, each other because we're not going to be loved by the world. Why? Why, though, is there this hostility towards true believers? Three reasons. Three reasons the world hates true believers. And you say, I don't think the world hates. We'll get more into that. Three reasons the world hates true believers. Number one, because it hates Jesus. Because it hates Jesus. What does it say in verse 18? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hates you. Hated you. If the world hates you, hey, it hated me before it hated you. It's interesting. Remember where we're at in John right now? This is the, the Paschal Discourse, that kind of farewell discourse of Christ um, right before, I mean, he's within 24 hours of, of being crucified at this point right now, okay? This is about, he's about to go to the cross. And he's saying, listen, just expect, you know, I'm not the most popular guy here. I am hated, and you will be hated too. The if in this passage is not so conditional. It implies they will. They're, he's, they're about to send him to the cross. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This no, you need to know, you need to understand, you need to get this, it hated me first. Who is the world? The world, we've kind of already talked about that. It's used generically in the New Testament to talk about the fallen world, the sinful condition of man. By the way, we are not naturally good and we are not naturally lovers of God. We are haters of God. That's why the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity towards God, and whoever wishes to make himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world is set against God. The world does not love that. We don't want to surrender our autonomy. We don't want to surrender our freedom to anyone. The world loves those who are like them, so if you're like the world, yeah, you probably, you probably will be popular. But Jesus was hated. Jesus was hated. And we see it We see it all throughout the Gospel of John. right? In John chapter 5, they were seeking to kill Him. John chapter 7, the Jews were seeking to kill Him. John, also in chapter 7, they wanted to seize Him. In chapter 8 and chapter 10, they picked up stones to throw at Him. In chapter 11, they plotted to kill Him. And we know that they're about to do just that. Things were not easy for Jesus, and they're going to do it in the most brutal fashion. Jesus was hated. Therefore, if you're a true follower of Christ, you shouldn't be too surprised if the world doesn't love you too. Expect it. Embrace it. That doesn't mean you go out and say, I'm supposed to be hated, so let me see how quickly I can do that, right? Um, don't do that. Don't be a jerk, right? Don't be an idiot. We don't ever want anybody to dislike or hate us. Or I, I, that's not, we, don't, we don't want that, right? No, we want to be as kind and loving to everybody as we possibly can. But we should not be surprised. And it's not about us, but the message we proclaim, the message of the gospel is an offense to people. We tell people, the idea is, is you're not okay. You're not good. You're a sinner fallen, and you need a Savior. Telling me I'm not good? Who are you to tell 
that's the message of the gospel. Jesus came for, I love, I love in, in Romans there, at the right time he died for the ungodly. You want to be saved, you've got to realize you're ungodly. That message is offensive to people. Expect it, embrace it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can you embrace that? Blessed are you when they do that. It's like Peter and John. Um, Peter and John, you know, they're preaching Christ. The council brings them in in, in Acts 4 and 5 and, and rebukes them, tells them, be quiet, stop, cut that out. They don't. They keep doing it. Somebody's healed. There's an incredible miracle. They bring them back in. They warn them again not to speak in the name. And this time they actually beat them. And they, they beat them. And it says they walked out. They left there rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. How would you walk out of there? I can't believe they did that. Can you believe how they treated us? This is not fair. We can call on a lawyer right now, right? Stacy, can you bring you back out of that? You know, we got to do something. We got this. This is not fair. This is not right. They went out rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Number two, because believers are different. Because their believers are different. Why does the world hate believers? Because they're different. Verse nineteen says, "If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own." If you're of the world, hey, the world's going to love you, accept you as one of their own, but you're not. You're not. The world loves those who are, are like them because they don't expose anything about their corruption. Romans 1.32 says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to others who practice them. 1 John 3.12 We see the... Um, why the first murder happened. You know, Cain and Abel back in the, the Genesis, right there at the beginning, the very first murder. Why did it happen? It says because his deeds, Cain's deeds, were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain wasn't going to stand for that, so he kills Abel. Those who are true followers of Christ, there is, there is a difference that reflects upon the corruption of the world. And that is not... Received well, often. Proverbs 29, 27 says, He who is upright in the way is, an abomin is abominable to the wicked. He who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. It's, an, it's a fence. It's a threat. What are you saying about me? The lives of true believers expose the corruption of the world. I have some more. I'm going to move on though. Many, many though who claim to be Christians never suffer any sort of persecution, any sort of hardship, any sort of criticism, anything. Why? Why? It's a, that, that's a problem. You say, that's not a problem. It's great. Nobody ever, I, I don't have any kickback. I don't have any problems at all. I'm never the butt of any jokes. I, I would caution you a little bit to, to really examine your heart and life because if you're just like the world, then you're going to fit in very well with the world. And you're not going to have any problems. Are you different? By the way, do you ever speak the gospel? If you don't ever speak the gospel, you're probably not much of an offense to anybody. Do you ever speak the gospel? When do problems really start coming along? It's when we start sharing the gospel, which, by the way, is part of being a believer. That's part of what it means to be a follower and a believer. 
All right, moving on. Number three, because believers are chosen by Christ. Because believers are chosen by Christ. What's the second half of verse 19 there? I'm just going to read the whole verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Because first of all, you're not. It hated me. And because you're not of the world, you're different from the world. You're in the world, but not of the world. And because you're chosen by God. See what it says there? But because you, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hear what Jesus is saying? They hate you because I chose you. And he's actually really making that clear by saying, therefore, therefore they, they hate you. Why? Because I chose you. A.W. Pink says, um, nothing stirs up enmity of the carnal mind um, as to hear God's absolute sovereignty, choosing some, passing on others then how much worldliness there must be now in many professing Christians. We're set apart. We're people chosen by Christ. Hated because they're chosen. I'm going to move on now. Uh, next session, verses 23 or 20 through 21 there. Three encouragements, somewhat encouragements, I think, here for how to endure the hatred that comes to us. Three encouragements. Let me read it first, 20 and 21. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. A couple things here. Jesus says, remember. Remember. Remember what? Remember, first of all, that you're not greater than Jesus. I hope that's not a news flash to anybody in this room. Jesus was the perfect man. Absolutely he was, but he was also the God man. He's the son of God. He is eternal. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is God. I got nothing, right? I'm not greater than Jesus. Jesus says a servant is not greater than his master. That, that word remembers usually always tied with either an encouragement or a warning. Here it could be just a little bit of both. Remember, mainly I think an encouragement. There, there has only been one perfect man who ever lived. Only ever one. Adam started off good and blew it, right? Uh, he started on the right path and it was gone. No perfect man has ever lived outside of Jesus at all. By the way, Jesus never treated anyone unjustly. He never treated anyone unjustly. Jesus never committed a single offense. And so you say, man, a person like that, that's incredibly loving, that never treated anyone unjustly, that never committed a single offense, I bet people just loved him. No, they shouted, crucify him. And they did. He was hated. He was mistreated. He was plotted against. He was beaten. And ultimately, he was killed. Do you really want to say, do you really want to say, if Jesus could have just lived the Christian life a little bit better, maybe things would have worked out okay for him? No. And I certainly hope you don't say, I think I can do better than Jesus. No. 
Remember you're not greater than Jesus. Remember how he was treated. Number two, remember that you are not the first one to be hated by the world. I think there's just another kind of, kind of same angle, but slightly, or same thing, but a little slightly different angle. You're not the first one to be hated. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. You're not the first one down this path. You're not the first one to do hardship. You can look back to those. You aren't the first and you won't be the last to suffer because of your faith. Jesus did. The apostles did. The early Christians did. Christians who love Jesus and live out His Word all throughout history have been called to suffer for it. You are not the first and you are not alone. I love the uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, talks about, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us put off every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this incredible cloud of witnesses, run the race with endurance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Who are the cloud of witnesses? That's, verse, that's chapter 11. And it's what's called the Hall of Faith. And it talks about those who were sawn in two, put to death by the sword, mistreated. And it, they suffered. It talks about Moses who choosing ill treatment with the people of God rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, run with endurance. The race set before you. You're not the first. You're not the first. Number three, remember that you have a higher purpose. Remember that you have a higher purpose. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, look, look at what he says there in verse 21. Servant, you know, is not greater than his master. We just read all that. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know the one who sent me. They're going to do it. Why are they going to do it? They're going to do it on account of my name, Jesus says. And you say, well, where's the purpose in that? Do you understand what your real purpose is for breath, for life, for everything? The reason you're here right now is for the glory of God. Do you realize that it's all about the name, His name? By the way, God acts for the sake of His name. What, do you, what is that phrase you see all throughout the Old Testament? For the sake of my name, I will do this. For the sake of my name. For my name's sake. We exist for the glory of God. All things were created by Him. And for Him, therefore, whatever you do, whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. You exist for the glory of God. I exist for the glory of God. Our highest motivation in the world is to live out that purpose. But all these things they will do to you on account of My name. That's why in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's okay. This is for Christ. I'm doing this for Christ. The only way this works, listen, the only way you're ever going to get there and you're going to say yes is if you realize that you are not here for you. And this world does not all revolve around me. I am not the purpose. I am not the point. I am here for Christ. In Christ alone. And if you don't get that, and if you're saying, well, I really, I'm here for me. This is really all about me. This isn't working for you. But if you understand that it's all for Christ's glory, and His glory, by the way, is our good, and I'm living for His glory, it's going to cost me something. Yep, it's going to cost me something. I don't care. For here we have no lasting city, but ours is a city that is to come. I do not consent 
the sufferings of this present age worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us? Scripture says, this is okay. This is okay. You have a higher purpose, and it's a good motivation. Digging a, a little bit deeper, the passage kind of gives a, a, a little bit of a side note here for just a second and a few verses. Digging a little bit deeper into the why and understanding, I guess, the, a little bit more the spiritual reality of the world. Why, why, why are we in this situation? Why is there the hostility? Verses 23 through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that, I, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have both seen, and, seen me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. What is Jesus saying here? Because we hear some of that language. And at first, you know, if I had not come and spoken to him, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. That's an interesting idea. What is Jesus saying here? I think it's, we, gotta, we kind of dig in a little bit and, and understand. Well, let's, let's break it down a little bit. Number one, number one, the condemnation of the world is amplified by the knowledge of Christ. The condemnation of the world is amplified by the knowledge of Christ. We just heard Jesus say, you know, if I wouldn't have, been, if I wouldn't have come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. He also said, if I wouldn't have done the works that I'd done among them, they would not be guilty of sin. What is, what is he saying there? What do these verses mean? Was Jesus saying that if you've never seen him with your eyes, you've never heard him with your ears, you have no guilt for your sin? Is that what he's saying? Was he saying that if you've never heard his message, then you have no guilt for your sin? By the way, if that's what he's saying, then missions is about the cruelest thing we can ever do. If, if that's what he's saying, then give up on mission. Please don't go be a missionary because the moment somebody hears the gospel, then they're accountable. Right? That's not what he's saying. Right? We know Scripture interprets Scripture. We need to understand what Jesus is saying in his context here. What does it mean? Well, Scripture interpreting Scripture. We have, we have chapters like Romans are whole sections of Scripture, Romans 1 through 3, and the whole purpose of Romans 1 through 3 is to show that everybody's condemned already, right? The Gentiles are condemned. By the way, there is enough revelation already given to condemn us, right? So we are without excuse, verse 1 says. For what can be known about God is, is revealed to them. He's made it plain to them. So they're without excuse. We know, there's, we know enough to see that there's a God to understand something about Him but we choose to put ourselves on the throne anyway. talks about us exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creature rather than the creator, and on and on. talks about the, our conscience also bears witness in chapter 2, right? Our accusing, conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse us. Our conscience also bears witness. We know some things are wrong, we do them anyway. We're not good. We are, we're not okay. We see that in Scripture. Scripture doesn't contradict himself, so it clearly doesn't mean no guilt in, in the broad, general sense. John MacArthur here talking about this says, The Lord was not speaking here of sin in general, but rather the specific sin and willful, willfully rejecting Him in the face of full re, uh, revelation. This is the most serious of all sin, because it is, it is the only one that is not 
forgivable. What were they doing? They were outright rejecting Christ in the face of Christ. They were rejecting the message that was before him. By the way, we have an old saying that you hear people throw out all the time, all sin is equal, right? No, it's not. That's, that's not a biblical idea. All sin condemns. The smallest sin condemns, the greatest sin condemns. It all condemning, but all sin is not equal in God's eyes. <laughs> I mean, Jesus took some things really seriously. You cause one of those little ones to stumble, it's better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the heart of the sea, he says. That's a big deal to me, right? It's all, it's all condemning. It's all an offense before God. But it's not all the same. We read about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. What are we talking about? It's attributing to Satan the works of Christ. It's a rejection, an outright rejection of Jesus in the face of what he's doing. It's unforgivable, it says. It's the unpardonable sin in Scripture. What does that mean? One thing can never be forgiven, and that's me looking at Jesus and saying, I don't care what you say, I don't care who you are. No. I, don't, I do not acknowledge, I do not accept you. There's no hope in that. Number two, it is an all or nothing with Jesus. It is all or nothing with Jesus. Look at verses 20, 23 and 24. He says, Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that I did, no one else, uh, then he would not be guilty of sin. We just talked about that. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my Father. What is he talking about? It's an all or nothing deal with Jesus. Jesus says here that they hate the true God. They say, no, Jesus, we just hate you. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can't have it that way. You don't accept me, you don't accept God. It's I and the Father are one. He's already told us here. It's an all or nothing proposition. If you reject Jesus, then you're an enemy of God, is what he's implying here. It's what he's saying. Don't miss this. It has huge implications. Again, John MacArthur is reading about him. He says, the truth is that those who reject Christ do not know God. That applies the one who is outwardly religious um, no less than the one... Uh, no less uh, does it the hardened atheist. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. You can't say, I love God, but Jesus, nah, I don't think so. He's the only way. Christianity is an exclusive religion. That is not an okay thing in our culture to say. That is the thing. You, you, you say Jesus is the only way, and if you don't come by Christ, you are not saved. You have no hope. Start saying that publicly, guess what's going to happen? It's not going to be accepted. You're not going to be accepted. And in some contexts, you will outright be despised, hated, and threatened. No. It's all or nothing. This isn't a Burger King and you can't have it your way, right? Jesus says, I am the way, and it's, I'm the only way. Number three, it's our fallen nature to reject Jesus our fallen nature to reject Jesus. It says, but the word is written, the word uh, that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. That's verse 25. They hated me without cause. Why would they hate Jesus without cause? Because it's just what people do. Fallen man is not 
No one seeks for God. No one does good. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. Romans 3 tells us. No. God works even the hatred of men to his sovereign ends. We see it. He quotes from, from Psalm 35, 19 and Psalm 69, 4. And in those Psalms, David, David spoke of those who hated him for no good reason. No just, no right reason. And by the way, David was just a man and nothing more. Yet he says, they hated me with no reason. How much more guilt is there for rejecting the sinless Son of God, hating the sinless Son of God. It's, that's, that is your nature, by the way. That is your nature apart from an incredible work of the grace of God in your life, is to be an enemy of God. The last section there. How do we, how do we respond to the hatred of the world? I'll try to wrap up quickly. How do we respond to the hatred of the world? Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. He says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. How do we respond to the hatred of the world? Real quick. Number one, lean on your helper. Lean on your helper. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father. He's talking about Pentecost when the Holy Spirit doesn't come just to be with believers, but to live in believers. When the Helper comes. I love a transition like that. This is going to be, this is going to be tough. You're going to be hated. You're going to be despised because that's who the world is. The world is hostile to God. They're hostile to me, Jesus says. But I'm sending the Helper to you. You have help. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes. Stacy's been talking about that recently. In his message, when the helper comes, when the helper, when's the helper going to come? When Christ ascends and the Holy Spirit comes after at Pentecost, who's going to send him? Both the Father and the Son. We see in the text, Jesus says, "Who I will send," but he also says, "Who proceeds forth from the Father." We have help. I'm going to move on. We have help. Number two, don't be surprised. I think that's an important thing. Don't be surprised. You hear what Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 1? I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. I'm telling you all this, Jesus says, to keep you from falling away. In other words, don't let this catch you off guard. I'm telling you now, so when it happens, you don't sit back and say, well, what must I be doing wrong here? Why are they treating me like this? What, what's going on? I've said these things to you, verse 4. That when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. In other words, this hardship, this time is coming, and I want you to know up front this is going to happen. Expect it. Don't be surprised. I've said these things to keep you from falling away. This is a danger for us. I think it's a danger for us because I think we would tend to freak out if we faced any real persecution. I really do. I mean, I think if somebody, I mean, we face real hard persecution, 
it's probably going to freak us out. If it's at your work, you probably want to contact HR. You're going to, whatever we got to do here, this is a, we're going to freak out about it. And we might wonder, what have we done wrong? Why would they not love me? What have I done wrong? The answer is that we might actually be doing right. But we just don't expect faithfulness to Christ to make things hard for us when that's exactly what the New Testament promises will happen. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Is it worth it? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Things could get really hard for the church in the coming years, the coming decades, but that just makes us like the church for the past 2,000 years. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Number three, real quickly, what's your six? What's your six? I don't know if you know it's military pilot things. What's what's behind you? Why do I say that? It says they will put you out of the synagogues. They're going to put you out of the synagogues, and he, he doesn't just stop there. He's going to say, let me, let me read it to you. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Watch your six. The very places that should be dedicated, the synagogues, dedicated to the teaching of scriptures, they should be looking, therefore, for the Messiah. That's the place you're going to get kicked out of. And they're going to do it and think while they do it, they're acting for God. We're acting for God here. This is right. You are wrong. The disciples were told that the day was coming. They're going to kick you out and think they're offering service to God. They will be, they will be so twisted that they will think killing believers is exactly what God wants them to do. And these are supposed to be religious, Bible-believing people in the New Testament. We're talking about the Jewish people. They stoned Stephen, right? I mean, Paul was, oversaw that event. And the persecution that went on and on for there. We're, we're serving God. We're faithful to Him. How did it flesh out? When the apostles and early believers went out, where did they receive the most flack from? The religious people. The religious people. Who beat Peter and John that we just talked about? Who stoned Stephen? Who repeatedly opposed Paul and tried to kill him? It's religious people. In the history of the church, true believers were continually martyred by others who claimed to be acting for God. John Huss in 1415, William Tyndale burned at the stake in 1536 for having the audacity to translate the Bible into English. Many other reformers and Anabaptists even to this very day, millions have been beaten and arrested and starved and enslaved for Christ. And so I just want to close with one thing. I'm going to skip down a ways and jump into something Stacy's going to preach later. In verse 33, cling to your hope. Cling to your hope. That's what I'm going to leave you with today. Cling to your hope. Look at John. It's the last verse in the chapter. Chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. This is all part of the same discourse, by the way. We're, just, we're going to fill in more of it next week. But this is part of the same discourse. Jesus says, listen, all the stuff I'm telling you, including all the stuff about being hated, I'm saying it so you can have peace. <laughs> listen to what he says. How, you say, how in the world could that happen? In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's how. In this world, expect it. You're going to have problems. 
but I've overcome the world. And if you're in me, you have hope. I do not consider the sufferings of this present age worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Remember, believer, this is not your home. This is not my home. We, we really want to make this our home. But we're passing through here, strangers and aliens. For here we have no lasting city, but ours is a city that is to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, 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 the challenge, but also the reminder, Lord, that this really is not all about us. And we really are here for your glory, and we really are here to speak for you, to live for you, and to love the world even if we're not loved, to love the world enough to speak the gospel and to speak your truth. God, help us to desire your glory, desire to please you, desire to be faithful to you more than to be loved by men. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.